Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we'll continue the story with Detective Amory and Roseblood. I do want to issue a content warning for this episode. There is explicit language and some pretty intense themes. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. American Dogwood, Episode 2 of 3. Detective Amory paced outside the lab. The medical examiner and her associate had to be wrapping up the autopsy. It had been nearly five hours already. Exhaustion was creeping up on the detective, but he had to know. Certain death facts were vital to the case. The facts he had already were substantive, but not enough, especially with the nature of the crime scene. Number one, the girl was dead, and despite his intuition, it could still be a suicide. Number two, the girl was floating. The investigators found nothing that could explain that on scene. Number three, the girl was identified as one Ashland Taylor from two counties over. She was seen by a friend two days ago, was never reported missing. Amory had spent the last three hours talking to her parents. They cried and cried and couldn't believe how their salutatorian daughter ended up dead in a clearing a hundred yards off the side of the road. The lab room doors swung open and the medical examiner appeared looking almost as worn out as Amory. She took off her bloodstained nitrile gloves and threw them in a nearby bin. Then she wiped beaded sweat from her brow. Despite the central AC, the summer was able to creep its way into any building it felt deserved more heat. The detective sprung up, a look of expectation and anxiousness plastered on his face. Find anything? He asked the medical examiner. She shook her head. Not in the way of saying no, but in the way of disbelief. The way one does when the world is tilted too far off its axis, and comprehension is an abstracted thing. Amory had seen a lot of unconscious movements like that this day. A dead girl hung like a puppet from invisible strings. The dogs had turned nearly rabid, and the looks on everyone's face was a funeral pale. Things didn't add up. The arithmetic was dark. The science bleak. Still, he hoped she could give him some answers. I found... certain peculiarities, she said. I took samples from the body. Samples? What did you find? The medical examiner looked down the hall, as if checking to see if no one else was there. Well, there's no ligature marks, no fracture of the hyoid bone, no lividity except the constellation of tardew spots on the legs and feet. So she she was hanging, Amory interrupted. Well, as far as gravity's concerned, yes, yes, but not held up by anything you could observe? No, I'm sorry, detective. Damn it, Amory swore. This was not possible. She was hanging in midair, a murdered insult to gravity. And that's not even the weirdest part, the examiner continued. I found pollen behind the victim's eyelids. She paused seriously. And four inches up on the anterior wall of the vagina, 
some sort of gummed-up flower pollen, local, in season, couldn't verify the species, sent off a sample to the University of Virginia. Shit. Amory swore again. Did you find any evidence of rape? The medical examiner shook her head. No, no evidence of trauma to the sexual organs. It looks like it got there without applied physical force. You're saying the girl did this to herself? Did that to herself, then rubbed pollen in her eyes? No, detective. I'm just saying there's no evidence of trauma. In fact, the victim was otherwise healthy. Nothing out of the ordinary in her other organs. The blood and urine samples are out for independent testing as well. Anything show up on your initial tox report? Amory hoped and prayed the proverbial smoking gun would be in chemicals. He had once caught a killer by the specificity of drugs found in a prost's bloodstream. Meth and fentanyl, which was only being sold by a few dealers he knew of in the area. It had felt good to put that man behind bars. A man who took advantage of addicts, who took advantage of women. Nothing I could see, but don't take that as proof. Wait until the full toxicology report comes out and go from there. The desire to swear again riled through Amory, but he kept his cool. Thanks for seeing me. You heading home now? The examiner sighed in exhaustion. Yeah. Amory looked outside and saw the civilizations of insects buzzing around glowing streetlights. It was later than he thought. You want me to follow you? Make sure you get home safe? He asked. Nah, I'll be fine. Good night, detective. I'll make sure you get the full report as soon as I can. Amory drove home in a summer night stupor. He drove in silence. Nothing but the steady hum of his squad car and a rousing of his anxious spirit. The night pooled in blacker than all black. The humidity seeped at the edge of his clothes. The day was done, but a killer was out there. Despite the examiner's inconclusive report, he knew it was a homicide. He felt it in his cement bones, his aging pessimism. The existential certainty of seeing too many things told him as much. Data and facts, psychologies and rules of inference. These were illusions in the fabric of comfortable reality. No, the essence of the world isn't in if P then Q. It's in the living, breathing, touching, hoping experience of humans and their families. It was in the wail of ambulances quieter than the wail of a mother who has lost her only child. The unmoving body of someone who once dreamed. Someone who once casted a shadow. That's where reality resided. The tactile sense that every lofty science boiled down to how somebody else felt about it once. Amory knew he was tired and hot and getting more messed up. Drunk on thoughts. Anxious with emotions he knew would come if he didn't get to sleep soon. But still, the timeline of events and the solid ground logic they offered comforted him, despite his contrarian mind. If the girl's dead body showed evidence of hanging, she was once hanged. There was no rope. Therefore, she could not be hanging. He had hoped that the girl had already previously been swaying from a rope, and that him and the other officers had partaken in a shared hallucination. But that logical deduction had already been ruled out the second the cameras captured the girl floating. 
Martinez had snapped a string of them before the dogs bolted and she fell. And besides, that was not possible to manipulate multiple people to have the same hallucination. But then again, what was an idea? A movement, if not a manipulated dream? Amory pulled into his garage, his mind thick with thoughts. Something else, something altogether not obvious could be at work here. It was hard for Amory to not trust his eyes and ears on this one, but something told him his intuition was right, even if it had been wrong about the presence in the hunting cabin. There was a great answer staring at him in that clearing, staring at him right in the face. Still, the mysterious text was the best lead he had to go on. He got out of his car and sighed over the ticking engine. The tricycle shined in the automatic headlights. Another little girl was lost. He had to work harder, but he needed more time. One thing he hoped for, though, was that the media did not find out. The media found out. In all its various forms and evolutions, it somehow sniffed out the story. The social media bloggers and Reddit sleuths descended on trending pages. Journalists and reporters from all over Virginia bombarded the local county sheriff's office. Everyone was asking, who killed Ashlyn Taylor? But Amory knew the more pressing question was, what killed Ashlyn Taylor? The detective had his own tech guys take a look at the mysterious text to Martinez's phone, see if there was any info buried in metadata or other technological ether. They went on about geofencing, location enabling, etc., etc. But Amory didn't know anything about all that. All he knew was that that text was the one piece of evidence in a sea of uncertainty. A boat tied to a keystone while a storm raged. Why was that text sent to him? How was he connected? Martinez and his immediate family were brought in for questioning. They were interrogated in separate rooms. Amory asked if they had spoken to or seen anyone strange lately, if they had encountered something out of the ordinary the past days, weeks, or months. Martinez put on a brave face, but was clearly fraught with apprehension, and he kept asking to see his family. Amory reassured him that they were taken care of. The kids had devoured cookies brought over from Linda, their dispatcher, and drank cups of red Kool-Aid. They were all doing well now, waiting for him. He had always liked Martinez and felt bad that he was caught up in all this. But Amory learned nothing from his talks. His notebook was empty, and he was crestfallen in its emptiness. There were no scratched signs of ink jotted down in a hurried hand, no revelations. There was nothing to show for two days of field work. How was he going to build his case with mere supposition? He had talked to the chief for a brief minute before he was whisked away by the mayor and calls from the governor and Quantico. Amory knew the FBI would soon lend resources the more news buzzed around the young girl's death. A task force would be set up to catch the Virginia killer, the hangman, as the internet was now calling him. He would be sidelined, pushed out, and the crime might fade into the stories the country told themselves. Mysteries and myth woven into the fabric of national consciousness. An interesting tale told around dinner tables and sodden barroom discussions, but still old news. 
It wouldn't matter that a girl had died. Someone who had loved and was loved. Who had always wanted the same bedtime story read to her over and over again. Who was excited for a trip to Europe and a semester studying abroad. It wouldn't matter to them that all the realities of who this girl was would fade away. Lost to time and living only in the memories of her parents. Even if the killer was caught and all his secrets borne up into the light, the girl would still be left behind in that dark space, that forgotten well, and true justice would be sensationalized like it always was. No, Amory could not let that happen. At all costs, he must find this person and not let them escape justice. For if justice was a state of mind, then truth was its mediator of moods, both fair and foul, right and wrong. Detective Amory stood outside the chief's office as the raised voices within seemed to bounce off each other. The mayor and the district attorney and someone else Amory didn't recognize had been holed up in there for the better part of an hour. The detective waited, his patience graded with each passing minute. Finally, the door opened somewhat violently and outstrode the men in black suits and expensive gold ties. The chief followed behind with a sour look. Amory nodded at the public officials. The chief came right up to him, right through the perimeter of his personal space. It's a damn mess out there, Amory. Somehow the media got a hold of the pictures. The governor wants my ass. He coughed a little before continuing. He's gonna knock out our knees if we don't get on top of this. Well, it wasn't Martinez. We have his cell phone, and it never left lockup. It doesn't matter now that every internet psychic and two-bit reporter from D.C. is swarming at us like a pack of wasps. You mean a hive, sir. You know what I goddamn mean, detective. Now you ready for this press conference? Remember your talking points? Yes. Amory knew how to placate the people. Or if you wanted to be nice about it, reassure the community of their safety and that they were doing everything they could to find the killer. You're still lead on this, but Quantico's bringing over some special investigators. Amory nodded. He knew that they'd need more resources. The chief coughed again. These guys, these guys don't mess around. They were in Iraq. They won't stop until this guy, this son of a bitch, is six feet down. You understand? Yes, but then he'll escape justice. Ah, to hell with your justice. We're entrusted to keep the peace, and this hangman is disrupting the civil harmony. Amory nodded again, but couldn't help but think of all the times the communities of America had charged the police as being the ones disturbing the peace. Still, in an age when everyone was jaded, and the cops and their institutions were becoming covered in weeds, like old crack streets, one fact still remained. Amory would gladly lay down his life so that no other girl or boy was abducted again. Some would say that that wasn't a fact. But to Detective Amory, it was. It was. All right, let's get this over with. The chief waved him on to the exit. They set up the podium outside. Remember, don't reveal anything about a leak with our evidence. As far as you know, those photos are fake. Did I tell you that already? No, but come on, Bob. I know how to roll a briefing. You think those photos... But Amory stopped talking. A wild thought stammered in his mind. Amory quickly rifled in his pocket for his phone. He typed in, 
dead girl hanging in the search bar, missing a few letters in his flurry. What came up was the grotesque images of the brown-haired girl hanging from the ancient oak, sunburnt in the dying Virginia sun. His heart beat around against his chest as he noticed something off. These pictures were taken later, hours later, for the glare of the light was coming from the west. What? Amory whispered in unspeakable confusion. The chief all but growled. Huh? These... these photos aren't fake. They're fresh. Taken after we had been there. We gotta go back now. There's another girl. Hold on, damn it. I'll reroute the FBI boys over there. We have to get this press conference done quickly and quietly. The chief's face turned from sour to afraid. Roseblood listened to music in her secret room. A song about mending a broken heart. She had always loved music and listened intently with her headphones in. The pop beats melted away her fear, and the echo of the girl sing-sighing of the sun brought a smile to her face. It was glorious heaven, and she wondered if when she went to paradise, it would always be like this. She could live in these moments forever, nestled in the kind and trembling exquisiteness of it all. The beauty of white dresses and eternal smiles and cypress beaches, sunset oceans forever and ever. She slapped her palm to her forehead. She should have blocked out all that craziness yesterday with her music. It was so terrifying to hear them searching for him. And when they came into the cabin, she had nearly cried out. She thought she would suffocate from holding her breath so long. The telltale beatings of her heart had sounded out in cadence with their boots. But when hours had gone, and she felt it was safe to come out of her nest, she opened the trap door and shivered. She could see the scuff marks, the dust disturbed, marks of the ignorant men, descendants of darkness. Roseblood couldn't wait for them to see the ecstasy of truth. We could all live in another world, a realm of peace. But these thoughts were disturbed by a banging upstairs, a low moaning, a crashing against the rotting walls, a wheezing scream, then loud banging on her trap door. She froze in fear before cautiously climbing the steps, her bare feet in the sawdust, her mind in the madness. It could not be him. There was no way. But what if it was? With a shaking breath, Roseblood reached out to the slide lock and opened her door. What she saw was another girl trembling, covered in blood, and holding a pink iPhone in her right hand. The look in her blue eyes was one of terror. They connected in that subliminal space before the blood-spattered girl slumped over and rolled down the stairs, bringing Roseblood along with her. At the bottom was a mess of limbs. Roseblood untangled from the other girl and quickly shimmied back on her scuffed-up knees. The girl was heaving on the floor, labored breaths. Roseblood felt a stab of something like sadness as she could see tears mixing with dirt on the girl's face, which was only half obscured by a jumble of light brown hair. She was drooling out on the cement and rambling something quite incoherent. Three shovelfuls of dirt and PVC pipe. Three shovelfuls of dirt and PVC pipe. Pictures, 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 pictures. Hey, who are you? Did he send you here? Are you okay? Roseblood noticed her wearing a man's polo shirt, which was soaked through with red. Lay thee down in cold clay, 
Repose my spirit in rebellion, Summer. Where are you hurt? Roseblood's voice was beyond frantic now. The girl's eyes moved from the ground to her bed in the corner, with the white blossom of the American dogwood laid reverently on the blue blankets. Then she shot up like a wounded deer, but screamed at a pain in her midsection. She fell back against the wall. Hey, don't try and move. You're hurt. Roseblood moved closer in the humid space between them. She could smell the gamey iron smell of hemoglobin, and she became intensely lightheaded. But Roseblood swallowed her sickness and lifted the polo shirt. She gasped at the sight before her. A large red gash ran like a smile from hip to hip. Dark blood wept out with each heave. The laceration was deep, most likely nicked organs. I, I, I tried to put mine in my womb. Her breaths came out heavy. Her voice was deep and dying. Uh, are you are you going to use yours? She pointed with a shaking hand to the bed, to the white flower. Roseblood turned her head and saw the flower bud. The little perfect bud that did so much. That prepared the body for the sacrament. Made the narrow path to another bright face dimension a little wider. Don't worry about that, she said with tears in her eyes. We'll get you sorted and on your way to... I won't make it. I I won't make it. The other girl said first in panic and then in resignation. I won't see you there, sister. But tell him, tell tell him I did what he told me to do. I did it perfectly. She smiled softly as her face paled in the fresh sunlight leaking through the rotting cabin above. No, no, just hold on a little longer. Roseblood reached for her stomach and tried to pinch together the open chasm of her belly. But the girl breathed a raspy kind of breath that Roseblood had never heard before. A sad moan an expiation of the sins of men done to women, kept inside, internalized in a woman's body, before coming out like a dying lioness, dying of thirst. I have to, I have... Shh, don't speak. Everything will be okay. Roseblood could feel her life slipping away, knew that she wouldn't make it to paradise, and the tears cascaded down her hot cheeks in empathetic pain. Please come closer. I have to tell someone. He, he told me. He, he told me a secret. Roseblood leaned in, her wet hands moving from the girl's stomach to the sawdust floor. The girl choked up in painful sadness, the snot from her nose mixing with the tears. She heaved one last time for her last words. Roseblood could hear them hot in her ear. They spoke of him, of his alternate plan. She shot away from the dying girl in horror. No, 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 no. How could this be? That was immoral. That was against everything. Roseblood could not believe what she had heard. She couldn't. The girl's head bobbed once, then twice, fighting to stay alive, then dropped in a pathetic arc, and blood and saliva leaked out of her open mouth. Her eyes stayed open too, impossibly blue and hopelessly innocent. She died on the cabin floor. Roseblood stood, wiped off her tears and knees, then went over to the bed. She took the dogwood blossom, but left her books. 
More important to her was the blue Bic lighter she used for her candles. She grabbed it and transferred it to her hand holding the flower, careful not to get the sacrament stained with blood. Then she went back to the slump girl and cautiously bent down. She closed the girl's eyes with a gentle touch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I never knew you. I'm sorry. Her words trailed off as she gathered herself and trekked up the creaking stairs. She was never coming back here again. Your little victories Take the wind right out of me Don't know what I want to be no more Your little victories Take the wind right out of me Don't know what I want to be no more And we fight And I cry Scoring points, playing hands Drawing lines right in the sand smile that hides a need now to conspire Hear you tapping at my door Heart is sinking to